A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Well, happy Easter, everyone. It's so good to see you. Happy Easter. Easter. And welcome to all of you who are in our outdoor venue, and even welcome and happy Easter for all of you who are watching online right now. You know, it's great to see you here indoors in our worship center. We haven't met together indoors for three years. But you know, it's, it's no surprise. I know pretty much all of you know what I'm going to say in the next few minutes. We sang about it. Natalie prayed about it. And if you're like me, for some of you, Easter is not Easter without the truth of the scriptural account that Laura just read. Um, and you'll cheer me on, at least you'll cheer me on in your hearts uh, when I proclaim the risen Savior. But others, I, I think others just want me to be honest. You, you just want me to, to be real and introspective and talk about some of my doubts or some of my disappointments in life along my spiritual journey. And still, some of you, you love that dramatic story of Jesus on the cross in the tomb and the resurrection, and, and you're thinking, you know, with all of that sort of powerful resource, let's gather that together and let's go do something for hurting people in this world and still others, and maybe more of the younger set. Still others Think about that beautiful and meaningful Easter narrative of the Father and the Son loving us so, seeing our troubles, sending His Son Jesus to be the rescuer for all humankind. But you know what? If I can guess some of your responses or even what's kind of going on in your mind right now, I, I think there's generally sort of like three groups of people. In the, in the first group, we're going to call you guys the sentimentalists. And, and you say, you know, I love Easter. I love the Easter story. I love seeing people dressed up and the kids and they're running around. And, but the truth is, after all, it's all said and done, my life isn't going to change much after today. But that's the sentimentalist. And then there's the, the, the spiritual. And the spiritual says... You know, that's an interesting service, and those were interesting songs that we sang and prayers that we prayed, 
but I still have no idea why Jesus came and why he died and why he rose from the dead. I've got my own beliefs, but I'm happy for all of you people. That's the sentiment. Uh, that's a, that's the uh, spiritual. So we have the sentimentalist, and you have the spiritual, and then you have the cynic. The cynic is, is like, yeah, I know what this is all about. It's every year, every year. And I just can't believe I've got to sit through all of this. And how long is it going to be before I get out of here and just give me my Hawaiian plate lunch after all, you know? So you have the sentimentalist, you have the spiritual, then you have the cynic. And I got a big dilemma then, if it's all of that, right? I got a dilemma of how do I reach people with all of this thinking, all this stuff that's going on in their heads. What do I do for Easter 2023? Because we all know it's been a tough few years for us, hasn't it? I mean, this is the first Easter Sunday that Nova has gathered indoors in three years. We've all made it through those COVID lockdowns. I, I couldn't even walk on the beach during that time. We have all these supply chain issues, right? With the toilet paper thing that I'm glad is over. Well, I hope it's over. And the baby formula. I mean, babies couldn't get formula. I mean, and then it's Easter and the price of eggs. I mean, I saw this morning the potato people from Idaho. Yeah, they're like making these potatoes. Well, they're not making them. They're, they're growing them like the size of Easter eggs. And they're putting on this campaign. I don't know if you saw it. Let's color Easter potatoes and hide them in the garden. What do you do with, when you find a purple Easter potato? Uh, it's been a tough few years. I mean, the violence that still goes on today in the protests, in the economy. And I, I just feel like let's get, let's get down to business if we're going to be indoors for our first Easter celebration in three years indoors. Because these last few years has left a deep mark on some of us. Marks of discouragement, marks of disappointment, and marks of doubt. And today, today I want to take a look at an interesting account. It's in the Gospel of John in chapter 11. And, and this was about three months before Jesus was to die on the cross and be resurrected. So I'm calling this the other resurrection story where Jesus reveals to us in a very personal way what the resurrection is all about. Just to give you some backstory before we get into the Gospel of John in chapter 11, Jesus has some close friends. He's got uh, close friends Mary and Martha who are sisters and then uh, their brother named Lazarus. And Jesus and his leadership team, the disciples, have been doing ministry work. They've been teaching about the kingdom. They've been healing people who are sick and they've been speaking out against injustices around Jerusalem. And some have been plotting to kill Jesus. And so Jesus and his leadership team, they go to the outskirts of town to escape the threat. And while they're away, Jesus' friend Lazarus 
gets severely sick. And Mary and Martha, the sisters, they send a messenger to Jesus asking him to come quickly, right? And when Jesus hears this message, here's his response. We read this in the Gospel of John. He says, this is not a sickness that leads to death, but, this, but it's the kind of sickness that will glorify my Father. What is that really supposed to mean? So Jesus continues his work a few more days rather than rushing to where Lazarus is. And then they get word that Lazarus has died. And so Jesus and his disciples, the leaders, make their way to see the grieving family. So I want us to take a look at this from the view of the resurrection of the disappointed. Take a look at verse 17 in John chapter 11. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary, Mary stayed at home. So it was Jewish custom in the first century that when a family member dies, there would be a 30-day period of mourning in which you just sat in your house. You just sat there. And friends and, and neighbors would come and bring you food and offer their condolences, but that's all you did. You just sat in your house. And word has reached the sisters that Jesus is on his way. And so Martha and Mary, Mar the sisters, Martha is normally a rule follower. And I, I was thinking about this. There's usually a rule follower in a family or maybe a couple of them amongst siblings. So if you're sitting next to your siblings, would you just sort of raise your hand right now? So there's some siblings out, out there, okay? And then you can, in your mind, realize which one is the rule follower and which one is the not rule follower, right? And it, go ahead and look at them, like give them one of those and say, you are the whatever you want to say. My brother's here. He's obviously, I mean, we know uh, who is the rule follower and who is not the rule follower, right? Who's the rule follower? You. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm the not rule follower here. Okay, let's take a look at this. Um, verse 21. Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. First, Martha immediately, check this out, brings up the past. It's the first thing out of her mouth when she hits Jesus. It's, it's a legitimate concern. She's saying to him, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive today. And that may or not, may not be true, right? Martha is saying to Jesus, like, this is kind of brutal when you think about it. If you can just sort of understand the feeling she has she 
might be saying to Jesus, if your response time was quicker, he would have lived. And this is the first thing out of her mouth. Now, you don't have to be an expert in first century history just to stop for a second and to imagine what it would have been like for two sisters trying to nurse their dying brother to health while waiting on Jesus to get there only to have him no-show. There are no hospitals, there's no emergency rooms, there's no ICU, there is no electricity, and they're desperately trying to keep their, their, their brother alive. Now, I don't know if you've been around a lot of death, but I have. Hospital visits, going to people's houses while they're on hospice. I was a chaplain for the Torrance Police Department for 30 years, and there was just a lot of that I've seen. And death, you know it, death can be difficult, it could be ugly, but I've been around dying people where it's sad, but it's also beautiful at the same time. And in our story today, you have this man who lost his life to sickness and two sisters who try to keep their brother alive until Jesus can get there, and Jesus is late. And a disappointed Martha looks to the past and says, if you would have been here, Jesus, if you would have been here, he would have lived. And there are some of you today that are carrying this weight of disappointment. And that disappointment is a real hang-up when it comes to the truth of who Jesus is. It, it seems like an inconquerable barrier that prevents you to trust in God. I was talking to a young person a little while ago, and they were saying, you know, I, I graduated from high school, and we didn't have a prom. And I didn't wear a cap and gown on the graduation ceremony. I applied to, and I studied hard in, in high school, and I applied to the college of my dreams, and I got accepted. But on the first day when people were supposed to move on into campus, I, I was taking classes online for one and a half years. The first time I moved on campus was the beginning of my junior year. And there are young people here that bear that sort of wound, that, that disappointment, in their hearts because of what COVID, what happened with that three years ago. Let me ask you, is your nagging disappointment hindering you from believing in the truth of who Jesus is? It's a difficult question, and, and I don't want to shy away from the question, how can God be so loving, though? And I'm here having experienced what I've experienced in my painful past. And for some of us, there's this painful thing that happened in our life that disappointed us, and it, it sort of even let, we let it define us. And we ask, God, where were you? If, if you're good, where were you, God? And if you are for me and not against me, where were you? And this is the question that prompts Martha's statement if you had been here, Jesus, my brother would still be alive today. And, and the reason we often miss this part of the story is because as church people, 
we know how the story ends already, so we kind of just pass over this whole part. But I think it's important for us to take a look at this in this moment on, with the other resurrection story. Nobody at that time knows how it ends. People are upset. There's grieving and mourning. Mary is just sitting in her house. She won't come out. Martha comes out and sort of confronts Jesus like, where were you, dude? We needed you. And then Martha kind of moves on into this where were you Jesus thing and catches herself sort of blaming Jesus with a religious answer. Take a look at this in verse 22. She says, but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask sort of that way. And I think there's a spiritual saying, a motto, a slogan, a platitude that this is what she knows she's supposed to say. But deep down inside, she doesn't believe it because she's so disappointed, so discouraged. And she feels like she can't be honest with her feelings with Jesus. And this is that sort of inch-deep, mile-wide sort of superficial spirituality, a bumper-sticker theology that does not come with a growing faith, but has rather become something she thinks she's supposed to say. By the way, I want you to know, your faith doesn't grow by itself. It grows in a spiritual community where people gather to worship together regularly and learn to love one another, even though that, that's very difficult at times. And we're on mission together, and we have a purpose together, and we pray for one another. And I encourage you with everything. You need to find one of these places. You need to find one if you want your faith to grow. But Martha says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And I wonder if Martha really believes this. Because we see this all the time on social media, you know, on Pinterest and Instagram and, and Facebook, these little kind of spiritualized memes that, that you see, things like this, like the bread of life, it never goes stale, right? It's truthful, but really, it's kind of cringy, right? Or even Dwayne Johnson, right? He's, Jesus said, I'm the rock, right? And you go, yeah, good job, Dwayne, you know? And, and then you got Jesus, and I love this one, you know, YOLO, right? What does that mean? It means you only live once, LOL, JK, and Jesus says, BRB, right? He say, he's saying what? Be right back, right? And these are all kind of cringy to me. I mean, I wouldn't want them on a t-shirt, you know, or a coffee cup or, or a bumper sticker. I mean, we don't need any more Jesus junk, right? I mean, it's just, this is, but it's true, but it's kind of cringy and kind of weird. But this is where Martha finds herself. She says, where were you? Had you been here, my brother would still be alive, but he died. But I know that whatever you ask from God, he'll give you. This is the resurrection for the disappointed. And then we have the resurrection for the doubter. Jesus says, your brother will rise. So where does Martha go with her response? Martha begins to imagine deep in the future about what Jesus just said. Take a look at her response and we'll look at verse 24 here. She, uh, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
And here we have a disappointed Martha, and she's discouraged, and she has this religious sort of response, and then she says, I know that years and years and years and years from now, in the last days, it'll be way in the future, he'll rise again. And that's where her hope lies. It's so far away from her, but she's discouraged right at that time. And can hope ever be in the present for us? Now Jesus makes this bold statement. And this statement is difficult because it removes any notion that Jesus might merely be a good guy or a great teacher. Who is Jesus to you, by the way? In verse 24, Martha says, I know he'll rise again the last day. And then Jesus steps right in there and says to her, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is saying, I'm the solution to this problem of broken paths and shallow religious memes in a future hope that's not just thousands and thousands and thousands of years in the future. He says, I am the resurrection, and all who believe in me will not die an eternal death. Even though they die, they will live. And then he goes on to say that not only is he the resurrection, but he is the, the life. And when Jesus invites us to follow him, He's inviting us to a great life, the type of life that can only be experienced by those who are in Christ. And that might sound strange to you, but if you're not a Christian, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy a thousand pleasures of God's good common grace. The easiest way, I think, to talk about this is food, right? I mean, you can be a sadistic, narcissistic wicked human being and still love a good meal and a good glass of your favorite drink, right? You don't have to be a Christian to appreciate good food, right? Is, am I right? A murderous, violent thug can sit down to enjoy a beautiful meal of a perfectly cooked steak and a glass of his favorite drink. Yet it's those who believe in the Creator God who not only enjoy the meal for what it is, the good flavors, the nutrition, but then they get the sense of the God who provided this meal for them. And the God who in his creativity doesn't just give you a chalky protein drink, right? But delights you with the flavors and the textures and the refreshment of good food and drink. And if you're not a believer, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy these things, that you can't enjoy uh, sex and marriage and friendship and, and your dog or whatever else. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's a deeper level of pleasure available to the Christian because he or she knows who's behind it all. And this is so beautiful to me. And this is what Jesus means when he says, the life. I'm the life. He's making a declaration for all time that it's available now. This, this enjoyment, this hope is available now. It's not way in the future like Martha says, oh, I know in the future he'll rise. It's, it's like right now, Jesus is saying. And then now Jesus is going to fulfill what he means 
in verse 38. Take a look at this in John chapter 11. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And I think we have that picture in our mind, right? Three months in the future, this is Jesus' deal too. In verse 39, Jesus says, Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now, here's my Easter gift to you. Um, if you're young and you're kind of bored right now, if you're a preteen, teenager, you're a kid that didn't want to go to Nova Kids today, here's my Easter gift to you. Look at the King James version of this. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Now, the truth of that is, yeah, he's probably stinketh, but, um, but hey, this is my, my Easter gift to you young people. When the Easter dinner comes out, in the ham or the lamb or the spam or the um, <laughs> prime rib comes out or, or whatever, and then that plate of roasted Brussels sprouts comes out, and I love Brussels sprouts, by the way, but you, you as a young person can go, Mom, Dad, the Brussels sprouts stinketh, right? I mean, <laughs> asparagus comes out and you go, it, well, not at that time, but later, it's going to stinketh, right? I mean, I mean, that... That's my Easter gift to you, but um, what does it take to see the glory of God? Look at verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off their grave clothes and let them go. So good. Remember, the sisters... They saw the ugliness of death up close and personal. And they're sitting at their home all the while looking out that window trying to figure out where is Jesus? And the sisters are trying to help keep their brother alive but he struggles and he dies and these are the sights and the sounds and the smells that the sisters experienced. And Jesus walks into town and says, move the stone. And Martha protests, I don't want to see the body of my struggling brother again. And by the way, it's going to stinketh, right? The stone gets rolled away. And for all the sisters saw, and for all the tears that they shed, what do you think happens right here in this moment? Like, stay with me here in this moment. What do you think happens when they see Lazarus hopping out of the tomb? What happens to all those memories of trying to keep him alive? 
What happens to all the sadness, all the tears that they shed? It's like they're crying and no more tears can fall because they've cried so much. What happens to all the heartbreak when Lazarus comes out of that tomb? In all the sorrow, in all the loss, in all the heartbrokenness, in all the disappointment, in all their doubt, in all their fear, in all the accusations against Jesus and whether he, not, he cares or not, or whether he actually loves us or not, or whether or not he is who he says he is, all of that vanishes when Lazarus, still wrapped in mummy clothes, hops out of that tomb alive, resurrected from the dead. Where can you find a hope in your life that won't disappoint you? Where are you going to find that? Where had Martha and Mary's hopes been? It was on this future resurrection in the last day that Jesus, but Jesus brought that hope from the future and he said, right here, right now, I am the life. And here's the big question for us. If we're honest, we have our own disappointments, our own doubts this morning. And these disappointments, these doubts, they're tied to yesterday, to the past. It's tied to the past in that we just can't believe God would actually love us because we've been guilty of some things. In our understanding, as shallow as it is of the Christian faith, is that God really has a thing for good people, but not me. He loves good folks, but people like us, it, it can't, he can't love us the same way he loves another person. Yet what we see in the Bible so often is that it seems like the Lord has a special delight in giving special attention for those that feel like they don't belong. And some of our disappointments and our doubts are wrapped up in our past. And it's, it's, if it's not that kind of past, it can be the kind of past that where this really dark moment happened to us sometime in our life. This really horrible thing happened. We just can't reconcile a God that's good with what happened to us. And just like Martha, we ask, where were you, Jesus? And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, when he dies on the cross and is risen from the dead, we have this, before us, we have this opportunity for the past to be reconciled and untangled, and the future hope of Jesus comes into our present. And for some of us, it's not the past that causes our disappointments and doubt. It's our present. And here's what I mean by that. By our present, I mean that like Martha, we're just sort of, they got these little spiritual things happening, you know, just like religious sayings or slogans or platitudes. And we have this weak, moralistic Christianity that knows nothing of commitment to Christ and only of sort of right answers and denial of disappointments and, and doubts. That there is no real desire to follow him. And you're just here on Easter right now just to sort of check that box off. Now we can go on and do our life. For some of us, the doubts are around our future. And what I mean by that is the reason we doubt Jesus in the resurrection 
in the life is because you think you're just on the cusp of getting your life all together all on your own. Because you feel like, ah, we're really close to getting it all. And you'd be surprised at, with people if you got them real honest. They really believe that I don't really need the resurrection and the life because I'm almost there on, on my own. I'm just so, if, I'm so close. If I just had a couple of these things go my way, ha, huh, man, we got it all together. And what we're celebrating this Easter morning is not the resurrection of Lazarus who would die again one day. But rather, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ that shows us and reveals to us that death is dead and that sin is defeated forever and our past is being ironed out and the hope of the future has brought into the present day right now. And we're seeing this and we're feeling this because the Holy Spirit of God, who's real and alive and active, is moving amongst us right now. And there are hundreds of people who call Nova Community Church their home. It's our spiritual community of followers of Jesus Christ. And you too can admit that we can't save ourselves and we put our whole trust in Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. And because of our belief, Jesus is untangling the disappointments and the hang-ups of our past and brought hope into our lives today. And because Jesus lives in us, it compels us. He compels us with his love to, to share in our everyday lives. But you know what? As a church community, together we're on mission to show people and to help people come to know Jesus Christ. You know that in two weeks, we're going to build a house for someone who needs a house. It's going to be in that parking lot we're going to build a house. And from the oldest person here, if you can lift a hammer at least, from the oldest person here to the youngest person here, if you can lift a hammer at least, we're going to build a house in that parking lot. And, and we're going to build the panels to it and the floor and the foundation and the roof. And then we're going to stick it on a trailer. And then two weeks after that, we're going to take it across the border. And there's a plot of land right now near Ensenada with an ocean view. And we're going to take those panels off that trailer. And we're going to build, bring a team there. And we're going to put the foundation and the walls. And we're going to all struggle to get that roof on top of it. But the greatest point of that is at the end of the day when we're tired and sweaty and hungry that this single mom and her kids are just waiting and we're going to be able to give her the keys and it's going to change her life. You know that a couple times every month people of Nova Community Church, they go to North Gardena and cook a hot meal for people who are hungry and package it up and they line up and one by one they come and, and we give them this packaged hot meal and they grab that hot meal and they walk into the darkness of the night and the people, the team at Nova here, they're just praying blessings over them and, and God. God, would you protect them? 
once a month, we take over a laundromat just across the street on Hawthorne Boulevard, and we bring a bag of quarters in a bunch of laundry pods and, and uh, one of the dryer sheets and, and people from all over the South Bay who can't afford to do their laundry because they need to use that money for things like gas for their car and food for the table, and we help people get clean clothes. But not just that, there's friendship in, in helping to fold their laundry. You see, when, when Jesus changes your life, he changes it from the inside out, and you just can't help but to share this with other people. And when you believe in the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, your whole life changes. And this is why on Easter, Christians say, he is risen, and someone calls back, he is risen indeed. And it's, a, it's this, not just this religious statement, but the offer on the table for you today, every single one of you, is to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And this is how simple it is. To believe that begins to unpack any disappointments that you would have and any doubts about your life from the past, and it brings the hope of the future right in your present, right now. What's available for you right now is the resurrection and the life that Jesus Christ himself says he is. Let's pray together. And would you make this prayer your own? I'm going to say, I'll, I'll lead the prayer in, in your heart, in your mind, maybe even out loud, you can just sort of whisper these words after I say them. And so, just right where you're at right now as we pray together, just say, Dear God, you might want to say that, just whispering or say it out loud or in your heart, Dear God, thank you for bringing me here this Easter Sunday. And I thank you for sending Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the life. And I ask that you would untangle my past and bring real hope to my life. I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and I believe that Jesus is the life and that he is a solution to all things. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.